SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase. I am your host, Hank Green, and today joining me, as always, is our science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. Expert is a very generous term. (laughs) And also our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Good day, mate. Oh, gosh. (laughs) With the reboot of the show, I'm going to adopt a new personality and accent. Like every episode or like from now on, you're going to be Australian? I don't know. Whatever. Whatever happens, happens. Well, you've already lost it. (laughs) Finally... Our special guest for the week, Sasha Tangent's editorial assistant, Deboki Trakravardi. Hello, Deboki! Hello! Deboki helps make all kinds of things, hosts Crash Course Organic Chemistry, also uh, helps me answer the sciencey questions on Dear Hank and John, sometimes on my TikTok. But uh, more than more than any of that is always here helping us at, at Tangents, make sure we get stuff right, and answers answer questions when we're confused. So, Deboki... 
I appreciate you for coming out. And all three of you, I want to ask you a question because of the topic for today's episode. If you could know when you were going to die, would you sign that contract? Somebody comes up like a man. He looks very mysterious. He's glowing. And he says, hello, I have a like you have to say yes or no right now. Do you want to know when you're going to die? You can't do anything to prevent it. You can't take any, like, you can, like, live your life differently, but you, you, you're you going to die on this day, and now you know. You don't know how it's going to happen? You don't know how it's going to happen. Okay. Is the man telling the truth? The man is telling the truth. <laughs> you guys are asking a lot of questions for me. I'm just like, no. <laughs> I have no interest in knowing. Yes, I would do it. I think I would do it, too. I don't think it would change anything. Well, I guess that's hard to say because I won't know, but. Yeah, I think the real gamble is if you're going to die of natural causes or not. And that would be the thing that you'd find out that would be like, oh, shoot. Yeah, if it's 10 years from now, you're like, oh, that's not. Yeah. So, Deboki, tell me what you think of my my reasoning here. I feel like the worst part for me about the fact that I'm going to die is that it could happen at any time. Yes. I don't mind the idea of dying like that's good enough for everybody else so far. I should be okay with it. But I, I want to be able to plan. I feel like that's a big life event to have no control over. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know that knowing when you're going to die is really going to give you the sense of control that any of us are seeking <laughs> from any knowledge <laughs> of death. <laughs> it's going to feel like control, but at the end of the day, I just... Oh, the idea of knowing when I'm going to die. I Like you guys were saying earlier, like it wouldn't change anything. I know for me it would change everything. Like I would. Oh, it would totally change. I, I could not live comfortably. And like just the countdown, oh, it would be too much for me to handle. You do already have a piece of knowledge that is similar, which is that you will die. Yeah. Not proven, but true. (laughs) (laughs) I am so sure that I would learn and then forget so fast. Like, I'd be really productive for, like, two weeks, and then I would just forget and be like, oh, well. Yeah, and then somebody asks you, and they're like, you you found out from the guy who tells you when you you die, right? He came to you, and you're like, yeah, but I I spaced it. (laughs) It was sometime later. Like, it wasn't around now, so I just spaced it. Yeah. I feel like for me, and maybe this says a lot about me in ways that I don't know, it would be like any other sort of important date of like, oh, I'm graduating for college in four years, counting down to that. And then it's giving me another milestone to look forward to as opposed, I guess not look forward to, but just to like count down to because I'm out of those. I'm out of formal schooling, which gave me plenty of like nice milestones of like, I can be done with this. Sari Riley just wants another deadline. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing I was thinking about is like also in terms of planning, like knowing that like, okay, this is the date that I'm planning for. I mean, I know myself and Mm -hmm. I know that either way, I'm going to wait for the last moment. So I might as well not know what that last moment is. That's that's a great point. You are winning me over a little bit that the the reality is that the the worst feeling is knowing that you procrastinated <laughs> up to the point of your actual death. Yeah. Right? It was like like for me I can be like, well, I didn't I didn't make it to Ireland, but I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know if I was gonna die or live. Yep. But but if I die and like I knew it and I was like, man, like it was on my bucket list and I just didn't fucking do it. <laughs> like I knew when I had to get it done by and I didn't do it. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for answering my dumb question. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to stump and one-up and amaze each other with facts 
about our world. And we try to stay on topic, but the name of the show is Tangent, so we're not great at it. Our panelists here are playing for glory, but you're also playing for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of you will be crowned the winner. And now, as always, I will introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. There are a lot of people who are working very hard so that each of us can spend less time in a graveyard. They stay up late at night because they want to cure diseases, from the most severe to just the ones that give you little sneezes. And if they just keep working, work better, and work fast, might there be some limit where a barrier's surpassed? Our lifespans do get longer with every passing year, and sometimes those leaps happen faster as new breakthroughs appear. So what if lifespan increased by one year for every year? That's what people mean when they say the singularity is near. Download our consciousness into computers for all time, create a cryogenic bath that keeps us in our prime, rejuvenate our bodies with techniques we can't foresee, and soon we'll find we are on our way to immortality. That is until the sun explodes or we give up on our endeavor. There isn't much that makes me think that anything's forever. Our topic for the day is immortality. One thing that I know and would like to say up front to all the people listening is that you too will die and nothing lasts forever. So let's find what we value and move forward from there. Sari, what is immortality? (laughs) Well, on that cheery note, (laughs) (laughs) mortality is what we're all subject to, the the fact that we're going to die someday. And immortality is not that. So it is just not dying. Are there ways that this happens? Because I hear about them, jellyfish and stuff. Yeah. So biological immortality is usually defined in terms of senescence, which is this word that means biological aging and Mm -hmm. is the gradual deterioration of the function of biological organisms over time, whether that's like DNA stability or other genomic instability. This is where telomeres come in. And like after you've copied your DNA a certain amount of times, these like bits at the end get cut off. Mm -hmm. But there's also just things like getting worse at transferring nutrients and your cells getting old and holding their liquids and, and their things less good. Um, <laughs> yeah. You actually do get less good at holding your liquids. Yeah. That's a real thing. And so there are organisms out there that have negligible senescence, that hydrozoan that Hank is mentioning is one of them where we can't see the like the biochemical effects of aging in in ways that are recognizable to us. So like they They have stem cell populations that don't die off or they can revert back to a less mature form and then grow older again and then revert back and then grow more mature again without losing that biological function. In order to live forever, you also have to not get killed. Mm -hmm. So like living forever, like biological immortality is the idea that like you could, but you're probably not going to because something's going to happen. <laughs> like the real problem with immortality is that like you don't get the option of natural death anymore. You will die in an accident. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if the singularity comes, everyone who dies will die an unnatural death. You'll just get hit by a car eventually. In, in my definition of immortality, at least, it's like you can stop the aging, like the natural aging of your cells, but you can still get something like cancer. As a disease. Right. So like mm-hmm. that as a as a natural cause of death, but like disease that racks your body is different than delaying the effects of aging. I do very want very much want to delay the effects of aging. Like I don't ha- hold out any hope for immortality, but I would love to be a sprightly 70-year-old. <laughs> 
it's it's hard to to get to get used to this idea, but I may be a little too old <laughs> to to really benefit from the effects of all the anti-aging therapies that are on the horizon, oh, no. but the horizon is still pretty far away. You got to clear the way for the kids to take over eventually. That's the thing I worry about the most. Just That's like, true. Yeah. Got to get some true. new viewpoints in there. Thanks for throwing a little bit of social science into it, uh, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Um, the word immortality, I guess its root is mort, which all I know is that that means death, but I guess it's named after like the god of death whose name is Mort. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I certainly don't know that. There's the Proto-Indo-European root mare. That means to die or like rub away or harm. I don't know, all kinds of bad things. But what was interesting to me is it's also the root of mortgage. Oh, uh, wow. Which means dead pledge, uh, so-called, because the deal dies when the debt is paid or when the payment fails, presumably because the person is deceased. All right, it is time for our first game of the day. It's a game that I have developed with a, a little bit of help from Deboki, but I didn't let Deboki know the answers. <laughs> so uh, this this game that we're going to play is called What Lasts Longer? And I'm going to go round robin, and I'm going to ask you each, I'm going to give you a pair of two oh. things, and you're going to tell me which of those things hmm. lasts longer. Is everybody is everybody ready for the thing? Seems yes. straightforward enough, yeah. All right. We're going to start out with Deboki. Deboki, you're going to answer me this question. What lasts longer, the average molecule of oxygen 20, the isotope of oxygen that has four extra neutrons, or the average bowel movement? A human bowel movement? The average human bowel movement, yes. <laughs> Important clarification, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess, I'm going to, I, I, I'm going to guess the bowel movement. Deboki, most atoms around us will live for as long as the universe, but oxygen-20 exists for only 12 seconds on average before it decays into other things, and that is less time than it generally takes to poop. Mm -hmm. I think that you could probably get one out in less than 12 seconds, but on average, it's it's more like, I think I saw a generalized minimum of 16 seconds, and I was like, who did this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to know what the start time and end time is. Yeah. Yeah. If it's if it's 16 seconds, it's not from when your butt hits the seat. Uh-uh. I mean, unless you got to the seat late. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to keep moving. Sam, this next question is for you. Oh, An boy. adult female mayfly okay. or the average YouTube video, which lasts longer? Oh, shoot. I bet there's so many second long YouTube video. Or is there a minimum upload? Uh, I'll just go with the Mayfly lasts longer. Than a YouTube video. Yeah. People usually po- talk often about how Mayflies don't last long. They're famously short-lived. And I sometimes hear that they last, they, they survive for one day. But there is a species of uh, adult female Mayfly that exists for five minutes oh my after goodness. hatching into its adult phase. During that time, they have to mate and lay eggs. That is half the length of the average YouTube video now. Wow. Mm-hmm which are over 10 minutes long. That is very surprising. Sari, answer me this. What lasts longer, uh, the Titanic or the African pygmy mouse? The Titanic from like point of construction to point of from iceberg? The, from the moment it hit the water to the moment it was beneath the water. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say the mouse. Lasts longer and you are correct. The Titanic lasted for 308 days after it hit the water, and the African pygmy mice is a very short-lived mammal, uh, and they live for around two years. Deboki, it's back around to you. A pigeon or a dandelion, which lasts longer? I feel like dandelions could last a while. I think plants are hardy. I'm going dandelion. 
Dandelion, on average, can live for 12 years. A pigeon is actually a very short-lived bird at just six years. Oh. Sam, we're back around a cat, a cat, or a termite. <laughs> what the hell? This seems like a double trick question. I'm going to go with a cat. No, Sam, no. Uh, the average termite, now an individual termite, lives less time than a cat, but a queen, a termite queen, uh, can live for over 50 years, and we are not sure. What? We think that they might live up to 100 years. Oh, no, that's what? horrifying. <laughs> to be to be by far the longest-lived insect, it's a bit of a mystery, and other insects that live that long tend to be dormant for a lot of their lives, whereas the termite queen is just doing its business the whole time. So termite queens might outlive people. <laughs> Sari, a chameleon or a peacock, which lasts longer? I'm going to say a chameleon just because. <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot of these ones that I pitched to you, they're actually quite close. This one is not at all. Oh, you no. are wrong. Chameleons <laughs> live one year. Peacocks what? live 20 <laughs> Deboki, an ostrich or Harry Potter's parents, which lasts longer? They were like 30-something, right? Uh, let's go ostrich. You are correct, but you were wrong about how oh. old Lily and James <laughs> Potter were. They were 21 years old when oh, they were no. murdered by Voldemort. Ostriches can live up to 75 years. Sam, the Gutenberg Bible or a Tuatara, which lasts longer? Oh, God. The Gutenberg Bible. You are correct, Sam. Okay, you. you did it. <laughs> Tuatara, unlike chameleons, can live over a hundred years. Uh. So you think they look like lizards, but they are not closely related. And Tuatara, for some reason, live a very long time. The oldest one is 120 years old, and he looks very cute still. Mm -hmm. I saw a picture of him, uh, whereas the Gutenberg Bible is much older than that. Uh, but it's a science podcast, so I'm not even going to tell you how old. Okay. Sari, <laughs> uh, the oldest lichen or the oldest coral, which is older? Oh, I'm going to say the oldest coral just because marine things have, have figured it out earlier than land things. I hear you on Logic. that, but oh, you no. are wrong. Oh, no. Um, the, the, the oldest coral that we have found is a deep sea coral. It's over 4,000 years old, whereas the oldest lichen we have found is also in a cold climate. So this is a sneaky thing that when it's colder, you can last longer. Is over 8,000 years old. Wow. Wow. Took all the adaptations from the ocean creatures and then just <laughs> went into the cold land. <laughs> <laughs> Deboki, a tortoise or a clam, which is older, uh, which la or which lasts longer? I messed up the game. Uh, <laughs> and I'm gonna go with a clam. A clam is correct. There's a clam named Ming. Ming was collected in 2006 off the coast of Iceland uh, in an ocean dredging experiment where they were doing some science to figure out climate change stuff. Brought Ming up, counted the, the rings, because you could do that on clams, 506 years old. Oh, whoa. Wow. Oldest individual animal that we know of is this clam. Did they put it back? No, it was dead oh. by the time they got to okay. it. Okay. But we imagine that there are others like that out there. And does it hurt? Does it hurt a little bit? It does. That's <laughs> correct. Sam, the oldest shark or the oldest whale? Oh, uh, the oldest shark. You are correct. The bowhead whale lives over 200 years. That's the oldest whale. The Greenland shark famously lives over 400 years. How does it do that? As far as we can tell, by doing basically nothing ever. <laughs> yeah. I love those guys. And finally, Sari, what lasts longer, a sun-sized star or an Earth-sized planet? Oh, no. A sun-sized star? Yes. I don't know anything about space. You chose a good one for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
an Earth-sized planet can last for as long as it wants, uh, as mm. long as it doesn't oh. get eaten by a sun-sized star. But stars have a lifespan, whereas planets are just rocks. I knew that one. Come on. <laughs> I, over, I under overthought it. I don't know. Yeah, I got. I panicked. All right. Final score, Sari. Did you really only get one right? Wow. <laughs> I'm really bad at this game. Wow, Sarah only got one right, one point. Sam had two. Deboki, all four correct. Yes. What the heck? Reigning champ of this one game. Well, I guess that's why you're in charge of making sure we get stuff right. <laughs> Next, we're going to take a short break, and then it will be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as (laughs) the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the 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 part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you... Uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, Shopify (laughs) has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know, I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. The downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. 
Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the fact off. All three of our panelists have brought a science fact to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And uh, after they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks in any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. As of the recording of this podcast, the oldest verified living person in the world is Kane Tanaka. How old is she? I'm going to go first, if that's okay. I'm going to guess 110. I'll go 115. Ooh, big number. Sari. I'm going to go 114. (laughs) Boxing Sam in a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Tani Tanaka is 118 years and 31 days old. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. The oldest person on record was 122. Kane Tanaka's coming for that record. Wouldn't it be wild if you were 80 years old and you're like, well, I'm on my way out. And then 30 years later, you're still kicking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that means that Deboki gets to decide who goes first. I will go first. So. In 1956, some scientists wanted to know what would happen if you shot a massive amount of gamma radiation at some canned ground meat. So they used a dosage that is... (laughs) I'm sorry I interrupted you with that. I don't think Sam and I can beat that lead. Okay. Okay. They used a dosage that is 250 times higher than you would need to kill E. coli. So this seemed like a pretty respectable way to kill everything in the meat, Mm -hmm. except that something (laughs) survived. A new bacteria, which they named Micrococcus radiodurans, um, though they later changed the name to Dinococcus radiodurans. The big reason why Dinococcus should not have been able to survive all of that gamma radiation is because that type of high-energy radiation can break uh, the bonds in DNA. Uh, And usually, like, if you break one strand of DNA, that is bad, and you need to fix it. If you break both strands of DNA, it's really, really bad and even harder to fix. And so it usually doesn't take that much damage like that to kill an organism if you're an E. coli, you can get to like eight to nine of those breaks per like copy of your genome. And at that point, that is like when you will probably die. Um, But if you are Dinococcus radiodurans, though, it takes about 275 breaks per genome copy to become lethal. So it's able to withstand about 30 times more DNA damage than E. coli. So it turns out the Dinococcus isn't any better at preventing that damage, but it is much better at surviving it because it's basically like the Wolverine of DNA repair. So while like all of our cells, they have these types of different DNA repair mechanisms, Dinococcus's enzymes and pathways are just like way better at it. Uh, It has multiple genome copies, which means it can have more than 1,000 breaks to piece together, depending on like how much damage you've inflicted on it. So it's basically this like semi-dead organism that can only revive itself by putting together (laughs) a thousand plus piece puzzle that it also cannot get wrong. And again, there are a lot of DNA repair (laughs) mechanisms out there, but Dinococcus radiodurans is just like operating at this whole other level. These methods likely evolved to protect the organism if ever gets like dried out or desiccated, which can also damage DNA. 
But it's also not like DNA is the only thing that gets damaged during desiccation or radiation. There are other molecules in the cell that are going to be damaged too. So it's still not even clear, even though we know that it has these mechanisms in place, it's not clear even like how they can initiate those mechanisms. So scientists are still studying the microbe to learn more. And of course, because we are humans, that means we've done the only thing more natural to us than shooting tons of gamma radiation at Canby. <laughs> we've shot Dinococcus into space, where it spent a year outside the ISS, <laughs> exposed to the sun, and it has also survived that. I mean, panspermia is totally a thing. We're not from Earth. <laughs> we came from somewhere else. Okay. I have a question. Did they leave the meat out for a while or was or does like all canned meat have a bunch of Dinococcus radiodurans in it? I do not know. I was so there were a lot of papers that are talking about this papers, but the original pa- research paper itself, the methodology, I was having a hard time hunting down. So I don't know how long mm. this meat okay. is like lying around, but I think we're probably OK. I don't know. I hope. <laughs> well, yeah. So. I mean, my guess is that Dinococcus radiodurans probably doesn't do that much damage to a person. I yeah. wouldn't want to eat E. coli, but if you're going to like. If it's like way too hard to kill every single bacteria, don't kill the ones that aren't going to hurt me. I'm eating some right now. All right, Sarah, you are second uh, in guessing the age of Kane Tanaka. What is your fact? So like the hydrozoan species we briefly mentioned in the definition section, one of the weirdest natural phenomena to me is reverse development, where organisms are like, nope, conditions are not favorable right now, so I'm going to go back to being baby and grow up later. And I recently <laughs> learned about- if only, if only the graduating class of 2020 <laughs> could do that. <laughs> I hadn't heard of this before. I recently learned of a dermestid beetle named Trogoderma glabrum. That is in the same family as the ones used to clean bones for taxidermy or for museums, but this beetle feeds on grains instead of scavenging flesh. And normally, this beetle's development works. uh, The babies eat and molt into larger larvae until they eventually pupate and then become an adult. But if you deprive the larvae of food and water before they pupate, they will molt the other way like a Russian nesting doll and become smaller larvae instead, kept in perpetual youth. So even though time is passing, they're physiologically getting younger and reversing the genetic steps towards maturity, and this can prolong their lifespan. So normally, these beetles live from egg to death for about eight weeks, but in a paper from 1972, two scientists kept larvae alive for more than two years through 20 to 36-ish week cycles of food deprivation and regrowth. And it could probably work for longer, but they just got bored, question mark, (laughs) and wanted to see if the beetle larvae would pupate into adults, which they did. So this staying baby process isn't perfect immortality because they still showed some cellular signs of aging. For example, it took the larvae gradually longer to redevelop into their original size from nine days in the first de-age, re-age cycle to 28 days in the fourth cycle. And their fat cells had DNA composition similar to adults instead of babies, which the authors speculated could have caused those longer reaging timelines. Mm-hmm. But as far as I can tell, this 1970s paper was the only big experiment on these mm. beetles. But more people could be studying this. And maybe people aren't interested because humans don't molt and and pupate. <laughs> That's my guess. But I think yes. someone should be studying these beetles. There is definitely an economics comparison here. <laughs> if you almost let people become adults and then you throw them an economic crisis, oh. they will mm. they will revert. Mm-hmm. That's been the last 30 years of life here on Earth. Uh, that explains a lot of stuff about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, I mean, none of us are grown-ups. Sam, what it, no, don't worry. 
All right. Very weird. Very good. Sam, can you top it? (sighs) Probably not, but I'll try. So in some respects, living forever seems nice, but let's say you're a vampire and then think it out to its logical conclusion. So assuming that you weren't vampire hunted, would you live through the destruction of the earth? Or the sun burning out? Or the heat death of the universe? Eventually, would you like feel all your atoms lose coherence and drift apart? Probably, and then you'd be dead. But then what about the particles that those atoms are made of? Are they the one thing in the universe that's truly immortal? Or would even they eventually die too? Well, that question, the part about the particles dying and not the vampire speculation, is what an international team of scientists (laughs) set out to answer in 2015. I love it. Great, great frame, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we... One thing that we never think about is how do we make this understandable to Sam Schultz? <laughs> it's the only thing I ever think about. So, <laughs> so now I'm going to talk about particle physics, and I'll probably be okay. wrong, but I'm going to try. <laughs> An electron is the least massive charge-carrying particle. True or false? Yeah. Uh, true. Cool. And we've never observed an electron decaying. Uh, And in fact, if I'm understanding my brief scam of the Wikipedia article for the standard model of particle (laughs) physics correctly, a lot of the way that we understand how the universe is put together depends on the fact that electrons don't decay. For one thing, they'd have to lose their charge, which would, I think, disprove the law of conservation of energy which seems bad. But there are non-charge-carrying particles out there that are less massive, like photons and neutrinos. And I guess it's not entirely out of the question that an electron could break the laws of physics as we know them, lose its charge, and split into these smaller particles, even if we've never seen it. So the researchers went to Italy's Barraxino detector, which is basically a 300-ton tank of uh, super pure petroleum-based, quote, organic liquid shielded from any outside radiation and also under a mountain to sh- further shield it from radiation. Uh, it's lined with thousands of special cameras that can detect some subatomic particles. And I think it's basically like an aquarium, but it's full of a known quantity of particles instead of fish. <laughs> so what they were looking for is there's a hypothetical idea of what it would look like if an electron decayed. And part of that idea is that the electron would let out a flash of light that would be detectable to the equipment in the detector. So they set it to detect this flash of light. And after 408 days, they didn't see any of those flashes. So there are 10 to the 23rd electrons in the tank, which I guess is a super huge number. And none of them decayed. So the researchers were able to math out that an electron's lifespan is probably more than 66,000 yada years, which is 6.6 times 10 to the 28th years, which is five quintillion times longer than the universe has been around. And that's like the, that's the lower limit. (laughs) Yeah. A quintillion is 18 zeros. And since the detector isn't perfect, it's probably even longer than that. That's just mm-hmm. as far back as we can math it out right now. So the law of conservation of energy is safe for now, and we can rest easy slash be terrified to know that the basic building blocks of our reality will still be floating around quintillions of years after we're gone, even ones that currently make up you, me, and vampires if we have electrons in us, which I'm only like 90% sure we do. We have electrons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am 100% sure we have electrons. Okay, cool. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> oh God. Um Sam, that what that was really well done, man. Thank you. you got all that right. That cool. was great. And I love you took immortality to its like its furthest possible extent. Yeah, I'm not gonna be around. No, maybe the earth isn't gonna be around forever, but our electrons will be. And uh it really seems like maybe forever. Mm-hmm. Though 
Who knows? Maybe there is a state at which eventually the universe kind of collapses into a bunch of uh, black holes that become future Big Bangs. Not my problem, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Oh, gosh. And now I have to choose between the three of you. Um, I think I'm going to give Sam... I think I can give you four points because I like you like the vampire thing was very good. Mm-hmm. You like you like drilled down and got a like got a bunch of particle physics, which isn't easy. And I appreciate it. <laughs> and underst- I understood what was going on, which I don't always when we get into that. I'm going to give Deboki three points because that was my second favorite thing. <laughs> and I forgot what it was already. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were ionizing cans of meat. Oh, yeah. You ionized a can of meat for me, which I always appreciate. And Sarah's coming out with two because it was also very good. <laughs> and that means that the winner of today's episode is Deboki Chakravarti with seven points, beating out Sam by just one solitary stinker. And it also means that it's time to ask the science couch. We've got some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. This question is from at Rebecca Rebecca four. What is the science slash reality behind cryonics? Can you really freeze something and bring it back to life? I know that you can freeze a nematode and bring it back to life, but I don't know if it gets much bigger than a nematode. Something bigger than a nematode has been frozen and then thawed, but not a whole organism rabbit kidneys for some reason in in the research that I was doing are like the prime experimental material for preserving an organ and then thawing and Mm. trying to transplant it back into an organism. And so in 2009, a group of researchers used quick freezing techniques. And I think with um, chemical cryopreservants, which basically act like antifreeze. So Mm -hmm. when it freezes, the The antifreeze solution doesn't crystallize the way that blood would in the kidney, which would be bad because then the ice crystals would form and that would damage cells. So they they used this antifreeze concoction to preserve and then thaw a rabbit kidney, and then they put the kidney back into a rabbit, and it worked for 48 days. And at that point, they were like, "Mm, looks good. Uh, And (laughs) and they euthanized the rabbit so they could study it. Uh. So I don't know if there have been any experiments since then that have lasted longer, but it seems like rabbit kidney transplantation is (laughs) the most promising field uh, before, (laughs) I guess, in in all of... All of cryogenics, in my opinion. I also briefly researched a company that will freeze your brain, and they say that eventually they'll figure out how to unfreeze it. They just don't. We promise. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of that, I think, in terms of like whether or not there's any like science behind cryonics, like there are companies that will do the freezing and whatnot, but the idea that they're actually like they can freeze you just fine. The idea that they're going to be able to revive you is really the the crux of the issue. And that's going to be pretty, pretty tough to do. But there are cases like with surgeries where people, will like the surgeons will actually cool a body down um, and have it go oh, yeah. to like really, really, really cold temperatures so that there's basically no pulse, no blood pressure, like no blood brain activity or at least really minimal. And that's to make the surgery easier. But like even then, like that is in a very controlled setting and it is still really difficult. It is still pretty risky, I think. Right. I don't know if it's gotten safer. I think the closest we can say to like being able to thaw a human is probably with like frozen embryos at fertility clinics, which is still Very remarkable, different. but it's yeah. it's still going to be a bit a ways from being able to to revive a frozen full-grown human being. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, it does make me think that there is like a version of it that's just torpor where it's like, you're not like 
frozen with like ice crystals. But like, let's put this person into a state where they could, you know, maybe go to Mars and not have to be awake the whole time. Yeah. Or if you're very sick, you put somebody to sleep until they get to a place where or a person gets to them who can take care of them or something like that. I think something like what you're describing is also a key part of cryonics that we don't talk about as much because usually people talk about like freezing their brain after they die, whether of an illness or of old age. And then that adds an additional problem beyond t- taking your brain back to life. You have to like that fix, you've died. Yeah, you, yeah. you have to fix what <laughs> what killed you. Also, yeah. it's like if you put yourself into stasis. Like if I put myself, my twenty six year old body, into stasis, then when I like unstasis, then at least my cells wouldn't have aged, and I can like resume living my life. But if you're an old person and you yeah. you die, and then you freeze your brain, then it's like if you even if you like rejuvenate your body you're still, still old, old you still like <laughs> if you died of <laughs> natural causes <laughs> yeah. or if you had cancer in the brain then you still have that illness that, that scientists yeah. have to work on and cure well also if you've if you've died your body is starting to decay mm-hmm. like and so th- there's an ethical concern here like i'm not gonna freeze you if you're not dead but if you are dead you have already started the process of like actually returning to the soil. But there's also these things with cryonics that are potential actually useful therapies when it comes to giving rabbits new kidneys <laughs> or <laughs> being able to do surgery on people uh, in situations where otherwise there would be just too much blood. All right. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at MamaPaulBear, at CrystalR99, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode Deboki, what are you working on these days? You got anything you want to plug? Watch Journey to the Microcosmos. It's a yeah. pretty good show. And if you like Deboki, there's also tons of episodes of Tangents that Deboki's been a guest on. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Sam Schultz. <laughs> and I've been Deboki Chakrabarty. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. One way to immortalize poop is to let it fossilize into what's called a coprolite, a dried-out piece of poo. The oldest human coprolite was found in Oregon's Paisley Caves, and thanks to radiocarbon dating, it's estimated to be about 14,000 years old. I just love that there are some people who are like, they look down and they're in a cave and they're like, that's not a rock. (laughs) How would you ever know that in a million years? (laughs) I don't know. I think, I'm assuming it's one of those things where once you know, you see it everywhere. Oh, yeah. All you see is... Rocks and poop. Poop and not poop, (laughs) probably. It's a binary filter on the world.